Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you the voice of the Nazarene, a week-by-week venture into the Word of God sponsored by the Bucyrus, Ohio Church of the Nazarene. We join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, and the voice of the Nazarene. There are questions that certainly need to be answered. Where did I come from? We know it wasn't a process of evolution. We know it wasn't an explosion in a mattress factory and man came alive. Certainly wasn't an amoeba or a tadpole. We know that we're created by the great hand of God after our own kind. Dogs don't evolve into a horse. They stay in their own kind. And uh, why am I here? And certainly that's to magnify, glorify God. The question I'd like to deal with this morning for a few minutes, is there any right? Is there a foundation for any right or any wrong? And if you look with me in your Bibles, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, and it reads like this, in those days there was no king in Israel, and therefore every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They'd never had a king before. King Saul had not been selected. And so every man did that which they deemed to be right in their own thinking and in their own logic. I believe there to be a fine line between right and wrong. There has to be some kind of a standard, some kind of a logic that's greater than my logic. Some years back, a farmer had been arrested and had been put into jail, and it was right at planting season. They were about to lose the farm. His wife had not a clue of how to farm, but she didn't want to lose the farm. She wrote her husband a letter and said, Honey, when when is it time to plant the potatoes? She didn't know how to run a tractor. And of course, all the mail was confiscated there in the jail and, and censored. And when the sheriff and the deputies read that, they wondered what his answer would be. And he wrote back and said, honey, stay out of that field. That's where I buried all the guns. <laughs> and so they headed out and got all kinds of manpower and, and the shovels and began to dig up that field. They turned every bit of the sod, never found one weapon. And uh, she wrote back, said the ground's all shoveled up and loosened up, and they didn't find any weapons. He said, now's the time to plant the potatoes. (laughs) Fine line. 35% of Americans believe that there is no absolute moral standard, no moral compass. 35% of America believes there's really no right, no wrong, no absolutes. And 65% of America said that morality depends upon the situation, upon the circumstances. We call that situation ethics. And that simply there are no absolutes, there's no right, there's no wrong. Now, in our scriptural story, it reads that every man did that which was right in his own sight. 
And to understand the content of that verse, you need to back your way earlier and read chapter 19, chapter 20, and chapter 21. And uh, I, I'm hesitant to say very much here because really what I'm about to share in that earlier part is it's, it's R-rated. Fact of the matter, it's X-rated. Well, you're perking up now. I've got your attention for the first time in 30 years. <laughs> Story reads about a man that had a concubine. Beautiful lady. But she was kind of loose and she ran off and for four months pleasured herself as a prostitute and slept around and finally he thought, I paid for her, I bought her, she belongs to me. I want her back. And so he found her down at her father's house and he takes her. And on the way home, they stop at a certain city, according to the scripture. And in that city, the man met another man that he did not know. And he invited him to his house and said, come over and we'll party it up. And so he and his concubine go to this stranger's home and they get to partying it up. And there's a knock at the door. And there's men outside, and they said, send that visitor, this man who stopped at your house, send him outside. We want to have relations with him. I'm telling you, it's X-rated. And he said, I can't do that. That's, that's wrong. And they said, he's got a concubine. Why don't you just enjoy her? And they shoved her out the door and closed the door behind her. And from sundown to, till it dawned the next morning, they ravished him brutalized and raped that girl. And the next morning when the man sobered up and realized I need to get home and opened the door, he found his concubine on the steps of the landowner's house. And he said, we need to get up and get going. We've got to get home. We've got a way to travel. And she didn't wake up and he shook her and he found she was dead. She'd been so brutalized. And he was angry. He realized he'd been drunk. He hadn't known what had gone on and these were perverts out here. What am I gonna to do to get even? They came up with this concept, I know what I'll do. I'm gonna cut her body up into 12 parts. And I'll put them in packages and I'll send it out to the 12 tribes of Israel and when they get these body parts, they'll realize what a, a, a tribe of perverts are over here and they'll deal with them. And so the tribes begin to receive these boxes. Here's a box with an ear in it, and here's a box with a foot in it, and here's another with a head in it. And, and Israel realized how far they had gone, and they said, we need to literally wipe these people off the face of the earth. So they rose up to destroy this perverted element. But there was one tribe by the name of Benjamin said, no, we're going to stand for them and we're going to fight for them. And they did. And every man and woman among them was slain but 600 men. And then the other 11 tribes realized we've just about destroyed a tribe and we went a little far with this. And so they, they found a tribe of people unknown to them and slew all of them except for 400 virgins. And they gave these 400 virgins to the 600 Benjaminites so that that tribe would continue on. Now, here's what's so amazing. All of this gross sin goes on in the Bible. said, every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Murder goes on. 
Rape goes on. Adultery goes on. On and on goes sin. Everybody doing what was right in their own eyes. You get the scene? Ladies and gentlemen, when right and wrong is left in the hands of humans, we simply do what is right in our own eyes. That's why there must be a standard. There must be a moral decalogue. There's got to be something that divides between right and wrong. It's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. There must be a standard. And that standard is the word of God. Because outside of the word of God, men and women are left simply in their own devices to do whatever they think they want to do. There's no absolutes. So what we've got to decide, is this a good book or is this God's book? That's what the struggle over Jesus was. Is he a good man or is he the God man? You have to make that decision too. If he was just a good teacher, then listen to his philosophy and try to better yourself. But if he's really, truly the son of man and the son of God, you'd better follow him. It's your only way into heaven. And if this is just a good book, then read it and enjoy it and put it in the library. But if it's God's word and if it's God's book, then it's the absolute between right and wrong. And I believe this to be the standard. And I give you four reasons this morning, and I hope you'll mark them down in your thinking why this is God's book. First of all, it's historically reliable. The Bible was written by 40 different men over a, a time period of 1,500 years, written in three different languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Arabic, written on three different continents, Europe and Africa, Asia. It has 66 books, and if you want to break it down into chapters, uh, 1,189 chapters, 43,173 verses, and all of these men and this, these writers are writing the same thing. None of them are conflicting with the other. Now, you can't get 40 men in the same room and have a discussion on one thing and all of them agree on anything. And certainly when they walk out of the room, they're not going to remember any of that. Now, here are 40 men living over a 1,000 years apart, literally saying the same thing. Now, why is that, Pastor? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells you all Scripture is given by God. It's inspired. All scriptures given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. And you've got to understand that 40 men just couldn't write a book. 40 men directed by the Holy Spirit to write what God wanted written. And that's why the Bible correlates perfectly from one book to another book. And let me say something else. Being written by the Holy Spirit, the only way you're going to understand it it takes the Holy Spirit to discern it. Otherwise, it's a closed book. This is what I know. You can't prove or disprove anything that's taken place in the past. All you can do is look at the evidence. That's all you can do. You, any of you got kids? 
You don't remember? <laughs> Check your checkbook. If you've got kids and you send them off to school, they were taught that there was a Roman general by the name of Julius Caesar. And when you sent them off to school, they were told there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Plato. Do you realize the earliest manuscripts, and we only have 10 of the earliest manuscripts of Julius Caesar, they were written 1,000 years after he existed. A 1,000 years later. I think you'd lose a little bit, wouldn't you? And did you realize the earliest manuscripts that we have of the Greek philosopher Plato was written 1,300 years later, and we only have seven of those in existence? Now, what's interesting, nobody's trying to disprove whether Julius Caesar ever lived. Nobody's trying to disprove whether Plato ever lived. And here's what's so amazing. We have 5,300 Old Testament manuscripts the earliest manuscript that we have of the book of Revelation was 35 years, not 1,000 years, not 1,300 years, but 35 years after it happened. I think you'd remember a little. And we have 2,300 Greek manuscripts of the book of Revelation. That's 99.5% of the original documents. 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. I just wanted you to know that. Now, John Garstang happened to be an archaeologist. And in his studies and in his travels, he found, according to the Bible, there was a city named Jericho. And so he went over there along that river where when they crossed over, they came to the first city, the city of Jericho. And he was amazed to find there'd been a wall evidently around a great city and it was the location of Jericho. And he said, the walls were down. They were torn down. But the interesting thing, no archaeologist, no geologist had ever seen walls of a city that fell outward. Because when they're attacked from the outside, they're driven inward. And he said the rubble was so great, the attackers couldn't even climb over the wall and said the walls were falling outward. Never in the history of archaeologists have they ever seen that. Why? Because God brought the walls down. Historically, this book is reliable is what I'm trying to tell you. Over there in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. Isaiah wrote this 150 years before it happened. And he said the Medes would overtake the city and the country of Babylon. And he said it'd be led by a man by the name of Cyrus. Now that'd be like in 1860, Abraham Lincoln prophesying on, on the year 2008, a man by the name of Barack Obama is going to become president of the United States. You say that's ludicrous. I know. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is that prophecy after prophecy of who and what was coming has taken place. This book is reliable. If you're a historian, you ought to believe the Bible because it's historically reliable. But let me tell you something else. It's also scientifically realistic. Christopher Columbus, who discovered America, the new world, and uh, do you know what his name meant? The name Christopher Columbus? His name meant Christ bearer. And uh, 
the first island that he landed on, the first thing he did, he erected a cross on that island. And he named the island San Salvador, meaning Holy Savior. Now, during the days of Christopher Columbus, they did not believe the world to be around. They, they believed the earth was flat. And they said there's a danger point when you're out there traveling, you'll reach that point where you fall over the edge, you'll fall off. And they said to Christopher Columbus, you'll fall off. He said, I don't believe it. They said, why not? He said, I've read my Bible. And he knew the Bible taught in Isaiah 40, verse 22, he that setteth upon the circle of the earth. Christopher Columbus, according to the Bible, he knew the earth wasn't flat. He knew it was a spear because God said it was. A thousand years ago, scientists believed the wind blew in one direction only. They didn't realize that it could turn around and follow circuits and jet streams and, and it had all kinds of, of currents. If they had read the Bible, Ecclesiastes 1.6, the wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually and the wind returneth again according to his circuit. Bible, scientifically, realistic. Ancient times, doctors, they saw no need of washing their hands. They didn't realize they were spreading germs from one patient to the next patient. And when they finally did get into washing their hands, they began to wash their hands in still water. And people continued to contract infection. But in Leviticus 15, 13, and when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to him seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in running water and shall be clean. Have you ever heard of the name James Simpson? Not a household name, is it? He's the one that came up with this anesthesia. Thank the Lord for that. If you're going to work on me and you got a big saw, put me out. He'd seen how many people suffered terribly during surgeries. He saw the shock of, of surgery and, and what the date, uh, death rate was. And he got to thinking, I wonder if God ever performed a surgery. And I'm going to look in the Bible. And he found in the Bible back in the early days of Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, where God performed his first surgery. And he read, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he woke up and he was married. <laughs> I see you guys are going to take a nap. I shouldn't have stopped there. And he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh and stood thereof. And James Simpson discovered anesthesia because of the Bible. Now I fly once in a while, not often. But in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 19, when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them, and where the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted. Ezekiel, in his terminology, 600 years before the coming of Christ, saw something that raised up off the ground and the wheels lifted off. Nothing ever catches God by surprise. Why do you believe in the Bible? I believe in it because it's scientifically realistic historically reliable, and thirdly, it's prophetically right. 
In Psalm 22, verse 16, for dogs will compass me and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Talking prophetically. It's right, the Bible. It's talking about the crucifixion of God's own son, Jesus Christ. Years before the Romans had even invented death by crucifixion. At least a hundred years later did they come up with that cruel death. And so the scriptures prophesied Christ would be crucified. I thought about Israel. For 2,000 years, Israel had been scattered into 70 different nations of the world. They didn't have a homeland, no place to go. But in Isaiah 66, verse 8, it says, Who hath heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion prevailed, she brought forth her children. Brought forth in one day. And the nation of Israel was born in one day, May 15, 1948. The Jews from all around the world flew their way back and took a flag and drove it into the sands and said, we're a nation. We're home. We're here to claim what the Bible says is ours. And no nation, no power has been great enough to run those Jews off of that little bit of desert land. I was reading in the book of Daniel this week, part of the Bible, prophetically. Chapter 12, verse 4, but thou, Daniel, shut up the word, seal the book, even to the time of the end. Time of the end, near the end of time. Many shall run to and fro. Have you ever seen transportation like it is these days? World riveted with highways and byways and bridges and everywhere you look, there's trucks roaring down the highways, lights on at night, some of them six to eight lanes of traffic, cars flying this way, that way, railroad tracks and great trains going, submarines out applying the depth of the sea, ships out there on top of the water, planes out of the great blue yonder, travel to and fro. And he said, at the time of the knowledge, shall be increased. Do you realize that from 1900 to 1950, in 50 years, knowledge had doubled? Do you realize that knowledge right now is increasing at the rate of every six months it's doubling? If I were to tell my dad, and he was alive right, he would not believe that I held in my hand a cell phone that gave, gives me GPS, that we get text messages that I could hear and not even have a wire attached to it. I could carry it around that I could wear on my wristwatch or on my wrist a watch that I could talk into and people could talk back to me on an Apple phone. And it's a watch. LASIK surgery. To think that I could even stand here and by live stream, people on the other side of the world can watch right now and hear and see this message as you're sitting here and as plain as you can see me. Knowledge has increased. I believe the Bible because it's historically reliable and because it's scientifically realistic and certainly because it's prophetically right. What is right and what is wrong is not what you think or anyone else thinks it's what God says. You know what I believe? 
I believe I'm getting off now. I believe the devil has rocked our nation and our world and the church crowd to literally to sleep with one word, and that's tolerance. Tolerant. Everybody keep your mouth shut, be tolerant. Don't you open your mouth about anything. This little group, you got to be tolerant of them. And they're over there hugging a tree. And you got to be tolerant of that crowd. They got some doctors together and they're aborting all of our babies. And you better shut up and it's none of your business. Tolerance. We want to throw the Bible and God and prayer out of the classroom. You shut up. Be tolerant. You want to believe in creation? Keep it out of the school. We want evolution taught. Be tolerant. I'd say to my children, to my grandchildren, whatever you do, don't be so open-minded that you become brain dead. Anybody, are you getting mad at me? I'll probably get some cards and letters. Stop them at the main desk, okay? I don't even want to be bothered by them. You can't be tolerant of everything. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. And if God says it's right, it's right. It doesn't matter what college comes along and wants to teach their influence and share what they think. It doesn't really matter. It's what God says that really matters. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to every man that believeth. It's the power. Read right on down through that chapter sometime if you really uh, want a wake-up call. By verse 24, a, a generation that would dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 27, men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate. Deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. No wonder he says in the next verse, therefore thou art un inexcusable, O man. William Penn said, right is right no matter who is against it, and wrong is wrong no matter who's for it. There are some absolutes, and the absolutes are based on the word of God. Now, I don't know what you believe, but I'm going to tell you something. At my age, I'm believing something. I believe this book from the beginning to the end. I believe the ark floated on the water. I believe the axe head floated on the water. I believe Moses parted the water. And I believe Jesus walked on the water. Amen. And it was water that destroyed that wicked generation of the past. And the Bible said that fire will destroy the last one. Judgment will come. But this book is personally relevant. That's why I believe in this book. Now I don't have time to touch on every area. I threw a few in your notes. I believe mentally the Bible's got the answer. I can't handle life. I listen to people's problems and I, I see people uh, taking their own lives because they can't handle the pressures. I'm glad we've got a book that can ease some of the pressures. In Philippians 4, 6, be careful about nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything. If you're going to worry about everything, you're going to have a breakdown. My mother had one at 20. 
seven years of age. My granddad had one at 27 years of age. My oldest sister, she's dead now, but she had a breakdown at 27. Boy, I was glad when I turned 28. Of course, they may be saying I had one. <laughs> but you can't carry all the battles and the loads of life. So he said, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You better let God know about everything. When, when they come at you, just pass them on. Pass them on. Get rid of them quick. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what are we going to do when you're mentally loaded? Turn it over to God, pray about it, and then change your thinking. Start thinking on the right things. And he tells you in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, whatever's of good report, there be any virtue, there be any praise, think on these things. So get a checkup from the neck up. Get rid of your stinking thinking. You can't help what's flying overhead, but you don't have to allow it to make a runway on your head. The Bible, it works. I believe the Bible works financially. Boy, people get upset. They get tight on that one, don't they? Go back to the X-rated stuff, preacher. <laughs> don't talk about my finances. I have people tell me I can't afford to pay my tithe. You see what this color is? Hey, Ray Charles. Somebody tell Ray Charles what color this is. It's gray. I've been around long enough to tell you you can't afford not to give God his money, the tithe. You can't rob banks and get away with it forever, and don't think you're going to rob God forever either. At some point, you and God are going to have a reckoning day. And when I talk about giving, B and C doesn't count on whether you give or you don't. God's going to provide anyway. In fact, the matter, I don't live on your giving, in case you don't know it. I live on my own giving. God told me that if I'll give unto him, he would give unto me. And the only thing in the whole Bible where God says, if you want to prove me, has to do with finances. That's the only thing in the Bible. He said, you robbed me, my tithes and my offerings. Now, if you want to prove me here with you, you want to test me, you want to check me out and see if I'll keep my word, you give me what belongs to me and I'll open the windows of heaven. I'll kick the doors open and I'll pour you out a blessing. There'll be not enough room to receive. You want to check God out and see whether or not he's for real, do it on your finances. That's up to you. It doesn't affect me one iota. And not, not only that, the Bible works with our relationships, our friendships. Here's what uh, Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Now, if you go out today and think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find me a friend, you'll not find one. But when you go out and you just be a friend to a lost world, you're going to wind up coming back home realizing you've got some friends. When you walk in the room and you think it's all about me, look at me, here I am, I've arrived, aren't you happy? Or you walk into the room and you look around for others, who can I make a difference in their life? They have friends. The Bible will work in your marriage. I could have left that one off, couldn't I? Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives. Now, you women don't mind me preaching on that, do you? Even as Christ 
love the church. Any woman would love a man that would be willing to die for her. What woman wouldn't want a man like that? Don't tell me it won't work. That's the kind of guy you want to be married to. And then in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And you got a husband to love you, willing to die for you. Why, why, wife wouldn't want to say, I'll submit to you. I want you to be the leader of my home. This is what I know. It's not hard for a wife to submit to a loving husband. It's not hard for a husband to love a submissive wife. God knew what he was saying. And if you got the opposite of your house and you're talking about the brutality and the anger and the heat of your husband all the time, there's probably also a situation of somebody else wanting to wear the britches. And uh, Keith, please don't leave these notes up here anymore. <laughs> this is God's book, though. And if we'll follow God's pattern, everything's going to run a whole lot better. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth. I believe in him and I believe in his book and I believe in this standard. I don't have to perish. When I come to that front door of heaven, why should I let you in? Not for any good that I've done. But I believed your word. I believed in your standard that you set forth for the world to operate in. And I've tried to operate my life in the confines of that and I place my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Now, if John 3, 16 is true, then let me tell you, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 is also true. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If a person dies without Christ, I'm just called to preach this stuff. They die without Christ, they're going to, to hell. There's a place called heaven, there's a place called hell. Listen, if our pulpits weren't so afraid to mention hell anymore, we're afraid we're going to offend somebody, run somebody off. Listen to me. If we had more hell coming from our pulpit, we'd have less hell in the land. You know why I'm still in the pulpit? I'm trying to keep people out of hell. There is a right. There's a wrong. And I said it last week or the week before or sometime earlier on them, eternity's too long to be wrong. And you're going somewhere. And I'm your preacher today. You're going somewhere. Which way? First 20 years of a man's life, as a boy growing up, his mama wonders where he where's he going? You get married every time you reach for your hat, your wife said, where are you going? Undertakers start us down the aisle with that casket. They wonder which way we went. We're travelers. I preach a funeral every week or two, and some I know where they went. It's an awful thing to sit down with a family and say, can, can you tell me a little bit about your loved one? For most of my funerals are outside the church. Can you tell me a little bit about your loved one? What was their spiritual life like? And they look up and say, well, they didn't have one. What's that? They didn't have one. And we'll talk about that next week. Where do we go? 
after we die. If you don't want to go to hell, you need to turn right and go straight and don't, don't quit going. You need to confess your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's not a devil in hell or out of hell big enough to make you go to hell. But as big as God is, he can't make you go to heaven if you don't want to go. You have the choice. The choice is in your hands. Choose wisely because it's for eternity. Father. Thanks for being a part of the Voice of the Nazarene. Visit us every Sunday at 9 a.m. with BNC's pastor, Ray LaSalle. For more information regarding BNC, visit BusirisNazarene.org.